right, well, good morning again. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series on Ephesians. Today we're going to look at a prayer for the church. Our text is found in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So let's just jump into it. I ask you to stand with me as we pray and as we read from God's most holy word. Father, thank you that you are a good, good, good father. I pray for fathers today, Lord God. I pray that you would be with them, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us as fathers, those who are fathers, that you would help us to walk in your footsteps, to be a father as you are. Forgive us for our failings, for they are many. I pray for those who, for today, may not be the best day because they do not have good memories of a father. We ask that you would be the bomb of Gilead for them this day. And Father, as we look now to your word, we thank you for the promise that you have lavished on us wisdom and insight. We pray as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that we today would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you so that our hearts no matter what's going on, can rejoice in our good, good Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says to us today. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So word of the Lord, you may be seated. As we begin this next section in, um, well, let me back up. Paul, as we've learned in his eulogy, as we would call it, the beginning of Ephesians verses 3 to 14. Remember that was one long sentence, one big long sentence. Um, it's kind of how I write. <laughs> Apostrophes and commas and all that stuff that doesn't exist in my poor little world. But Paul in that expounded to them and reminded them that God had planned, purchased, and preserved their, their salvation for them before the world was ever created. Now in the rest of the letter, as we have said before, that Paul is going to tell them what it means to be that adopted son or daughter of God. What it looks like to live a life to the praise of God's glory. We're going to see four things as we consider verses 15 to 23. We're going to consider Christ's person, Christ's promise, Christ's power, and Christ's position. His person, promise, power, and 
position. Obviously, we'll begin with the person. It says in verse 15, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. For this reason. What does Paul mean by for this reason? What is Paul referring to? Is it to what he had just expounded on the greatness of God's purchase, planned, and preserved salvation? Is it referring to their faith in the Lord and their love for all the saints? Paul, I believe, is referring to what he had stated about God and his purpose of salvation before the foundation of the world. And that is what Paul is now using as the basis of his prayer for the church and their encouragement to stand firm in the faith. Paul says he heard of their faith and love. Look at it again. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. One might ask the question, since Paul planted the church in Ephesus, Acts 19 tells us that, how is it that he is now hearing about their faith and their love? Doesn't he already know? Well, the obvious answer is because when he left Ephesus, a great amount of time has passed since then. Paul has been getting updates from Ephesus. Timothy was in charge. And the updates that he has been given have been very encouraging. He's been told how they were maintaining their faith in the Lord Jesus, and their love for all the saints. Paul must have been just absolutely overjoyed because of the good reports. Because remember when he left the elders in Ephesus in Acts, he says, I know that soon after my departure, ravenous wolves from your own ranks, from within your own church, will rise up and seek to deceive you and tear this flock apart. And it has not happened up to this point. He was overjoyed at hearing the good reports. It's that way for pastors today, for anybody who leads or teach. It's a, a joy to see the people under you following the Lord Jesus and the truth of His Word. John writes in his epistle, his third epistle, in 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I am so thankful for so many of you who are doing just that. I want you to know that the pastors thank God daily for you. You have allowed us to be part of your lives. You're a great, great encouragement to us. But there were undoubtedly many good things that the church in Ephesus was doing. But Paul only highlights faith and love. How come he didn't talk about their feeding the poor and their evangelism and all those things that are expected of the church today? Why is it only because of faith? Look, look again what it says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your Love towards all the saints. Why only faith and love? I would say simply because faith and love are the baseline requirements for a Christian. When I understand what a Christian is, somebody who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they love the church. They love the brothers and sisters. We learned that in our study of 1 John. 
Remember what John says to us in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, there's faith in the Lord Jesus. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, here's the love part, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for the saints are the baseline of a Christian. What is the, you boil down what is a Christian. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they love the brothers and sisters. They are known by their love. What did Jesus say to his disciples? They will know you are my disciples. Why? By how you love one another. Love is what keeps a community of believers intact. Remove love and the community of God does not exist. Love is what keeps a community of believers intact. Remove love and the community of God does not exist. Paul says, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for each other, he does not cease to give thanks to God for them. What it says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. To give thanks is eucharisto. It means to be thankful on the basis of some received benefit. So if you ever wondered what the Eucharist is, if you come from a high church background or a Catholic background, the Eucharist is the cup of thanksgiving, rightly named. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. We live in a day and an age where being thankful is pretty much non-existent. People feel entitled, owed. And when they get what they feel they're owed, they have no basis to say thank you for it. Because it's owed me, so why should I thank you for what is owed me? God tells us in His Word that it is His will, His desire for us, His will for us. What is God's will for me? What does God want for me? God wants us, His sons and daughters, His adopted sons and daughters, to be thankful. To be thankful. Just to say thank you to somebody can go a very long way. A smile can go a very long way. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, when they were wondering about questions, what does God want? He says in 1 Thessalonians 15, 8, Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. You don't know my situation. No, but God does. And God still says there's something to give thanks for. If for nothing else, the fact that God loved me before the foundation of the world, that God called me by name, 
that God purchased me with the blood of Christ and has sealed me with the Holy Spirit. If that's not a reason to be thankful for, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how much help there is for a person who can't be thankful for that. I don't want to sound cold, but it's just the truth. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, the human condition is such that we have long memories of wrongs, of hurts, of what may seem to be lacking. But we must, as God has commanded us, to begin to be thankful for what we do have. If we really begin to count our blessings, we will see, as the song says, what the Lord has done. If we really begin to be thankful, God, you this. God, you have done this. God, you have done this. And not just salvation. That's more than enough. Begin to count the blessings of God. You know what? The other day when I was in a rush and I asked God, would you please let me not hit the red light at the corner? And you let... Thank God for that. If you asked for it and God gave it to you, thank God for it. Begin to count those things up. Life, I am convinced, is made up of the little things, not the big things. The majority of our life are the little things. Begin to thank God for that, and if you really begin to stack it up, as it were, weigh it in the balance, God's blessings certainly outweigh what may seem to be His deficits. And if God actually removes something, takes something from us, it's, to, it's for our benefit. It's actually a good thing if God denies us something. We'll really see what God has done. We really begin to contemplate and give thanks for a God who loved us from the foundation of the world. Contemplate a God who stepped into history to purchase us with his own blood. And contemplate on a God who has promised to preserve us through trials and tribulations in this life. It really begins to put our particular situation into perspective. We'd be good to be reminded of the truth of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then. If you view yourself as being raised with Christ, that's your, you have the ability to think this or not. You have the ability to believe this or not. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Freedom from self, fear, and worry is only found in setting our minds on all the blessings we have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has granted to His sons and daughters, His adopted sons and daughters, the ability to think this way. He's given us the ability to think this way because He's lavished on us wisdom and insight. It is up to us to use and develop that lavished wisdom and insight. Paul goes on to say that he remembers them in his prayers. Look again what it says. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The word remembering is actually two Greek words. Mania, to remember, to recall, and poio, to make mention. 
And the way I, I understand it works, that, that it's, it's essentially two kind of verbs. And, and, and as Paul remembers their faith and their love, as he remembers the church which he has founded and left in the hands of Timothy, and he hears these good reports, that he doesn't go, oh, that's really nice. It actually causes him to act. It causes him to remember and to pray. There's action behind his remembering. It's not just, hey, that's great, and then just moves on with life. It causes him to an action. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope you do. I hope I'm making that clear. Because he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. As I remember you, I'm moved to pray for you. You know, prayer is one of the things that most Christians would say they do the least. I know it is a struggle for me. You know, if you were to take a, and many have been asked, Billy Graham, all the greats have been asked, if there's one thing you could change in your ministry, what it would be? And they said, I would, they, across the board, I would pray more. I would pray more. Are you struggling to pray? Is it hard to pray in the midst of your circumstances? Is it hard just at times, like me, just to keep your mind focused? Because, oh, there's a squirrel, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm, who knows, I'm, it's amazing. Listen to what Ian Hamilton says about prayer. And he's using, this is in his commentary in Ephesians, Paul had all this great praise of God, and he writes this, Praise leads inevitably to prayer. When you find yourself struggling to pray, thoughtful meditation and reflections on the riches of His grace will frame your heart and mind to pray for others and for yourself. I like the order of which he put it. For others and yourself. Paul wrote the same truth to the church in Colossae, who more than likely had received a copy of this letter of a, uh, to the church in Ephesus. In Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice how that's up to us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. That if I open my heart and my mind to the truths of God, I let what God says be true. I let what God says have its way with me, as it were. It will do its work. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. In all what? Wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How is it we can have story after story, recorded historical facts of Christian believers being martyred, being in prison, being tied to the stake, and the flames being lit under them, And the first thing they do, what comes to their mind, is to begin to thank and praise God. I think that's what it means here. 
May our hearts overflow with praise to God for the lavish blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. So that our minds and our hearts and actions will be for the praise of His glorious grace. So Paul says that I do not cease to remember. I do not cease as I remember you in my prayers. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Again, what, let's go back to what is Paul going to pray for? That they would know the person, the promise, the power, and the position of Jesus Christ. And so now we finally come to our first point. The person of Christ. Look again what he says. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The God of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember what that means. He's God. How can Jesus call God God when Jesus is God? Well, that's when Jesus was a man. When He took on flesh, God also became as God as the... Well, go back in a couple lessons from that, you'll see. But he's described as the Father of glory. That's what it says, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. God's got a lot of names. Here he's called the Father of glory. You know, there is no being more glorious and worthy of obedience and praise than God. God is... The song says, beautiful beyond description, but he's glorious beyond description. Human words pale to fully explain him. It is only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we begin to get a glimpse of his eternal glory. You know what's great? One day, may that day, may that day be today, God will fit us with a body so that we can stand in the presence of His eternal glory. What an amazing thought that is. That's the preserved part of our salvation. It's also the planned and the purchased part of it. That one day, as He says to the church in Thessalonica, will transform our bodies so that we will be like Him. That's the only way in which we can even live in heaven. Paul asked that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And now he says what he, he's going to pray for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He says, this is the first thing I'm going to pray for you. That you would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Notice in your Bibles that the word spirit is capitalized. Referring to the Holy Spirit. Every act of God is Trinitarian. Every act of God is Trinitarian. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together always. He prays for wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit. Again, we need to look at these words. What do these words mean? We've already looked at the word wisdom, but let's look at it again. Sophia. The capacity to understand it and as a result, 
to act wisely. The word revelation is apocalypsis. Apocalypse. You know, apocalypse is not what we think it is. It's a revealing. It means it's to cause something to be fully known, to reveal, to disclose, to make full, fully known, or revelation. But Paul is not using it necessarily here in that way. Paul is using it to mean something being revealed or illuminated or to bring it to light. He's using it as the word illumination. That God's Spirit would illuminate His Word, that as we study, as we look at, as we pray through God's Word, that the, the bulb would go off in our head as a word and say, I get it, I got it, I understand it, which is only something that God can do. God has given us His lavished wisdom and insight. Remember that from Ephesians 1, 7 9. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Remember what James said. If anyone lacks wisdom, what? Go to the dictionary. Go to Google. Right? No. Let him ask God. The question would be, why would Paul pray that God may give them what he has already given them? He already said in his prayer, his great eulogy, that God has lavished upon us wisdom and insight. So why is he praying that God would give them what they've already been given? Well, I can assure you it's not a lack on God's part. The greatest need for Christians is that they believe correctly about God and His plan that has been revealed in Christ Jesus. I like what Ian Hamilton says. He says, of all the important and pressing needs of the Ephesians, Paul recognized that their greatest need was the enlightening ministry of the Holy Spirit. The greatest need that you and I have is that we would be able to understand what God says to us in His Word. God has promised and has given to us lavished wisdom and insight. But He's given it to us. It is up to us to pick it up and use it. If I fail to use it, it's of no value to me. The Holy Spirit's role is to guide us into all truth as we study God's Word. And as we grow in insight in the study of God's Word through the wisdom and illumination of the Holy Spirit, it not only makes us wise for life, for salvation, but also for life. So what Paul is asking is God to fulfill this promise to make Himself known through His revealed Word. And Paul is assuming that those in Ephesus are doing just that studying to show themselves approved by God. The question for us is, are we students of God's Word? Are we students of eternal life? 
What did Jesus say eternal life was? Paul says that they would know you. Knowledge of Him. Jesus says in His high priestly prayer, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God knows those who are His. He's he's purchased, he's, He's planned, He's purchased, and He's preserving. He knows those who are His. He's marked out, as we've learned, before the foundation of the world, those who are His. But we must ask ourselves, and it's good to ask ourselves, how well do I know God? God knows me, but do I know God? Do I know some things about God? Perhaps I know just enough about God to, quote-unquote, be dangerous. God is known through the faithful study, and is through, is God is known through faithful study and prayer. God always responds positively to the one who says, I want to know you, and begins to study the scripture so as to know him. But there is an inherent danger that we can often fall into. That we can substitute theology for Jesus. We can substitute theology for Jesus. In our men's uh, study, Paul Tripp, I love this quote because it's so true, and his book, A Quest for More, says this, when Christ isn't central in the life of a Christian, his Christianity will always get reduced to theology and rules. When Christ isn't central in the life of a Christian, His Christianity will always get reduced to theology and rules. So knowing Christ, as Paul prays for them with the wisdom and insight of the Holy Spirit, is not to know just about Christ, but to actually know Christ. To actually know Him. I believe it is becoming more and more paramount in the day and an age in which we live. As this book, as seeking to be rewritten, I was reading an article just the other day that's saying that this AI chat, whatever, GP, whatever, this guy said, There's, we're going we're gonna to eventually rewrite a Bible in which everybody could believe. No, what they mean by that, because Scripture tells us, is we're going to rewrite a Bible and we will force you to believe it or we will kill you. Scripture's clear about this. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or an alarm. You know, that's just a fact. And so while we have what we have in our hands right now, cherish it, love it, memorize it, know it, Make it everything. My decisions are based on this. How many? We've all failed in that. Well, let's begin to be better. Let's begin to stop. Say, you know what? No, I want to know Christ. Because when I know Christ, I can be in the inner Roman prison cell. And I can begin to sing God's praises. And when I know Christ... And I know His plan, the mystery of God revealed in Christ Jesus, 
that I can know that really what is happening for me, to me, God is actually working for good. That I really can know that this life is temporary. Yeah, my decisions affect a lot of things. But Jesus was also very clear that how we treat him here also has effects in the afterlife. Jesus tells us, store up for yourselves where? Treasure in heaven. Are we more concerned about stacking up our retirement? Which we're going to leave to somebody else anyways? Or are we storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven? How does it begin? By asking God to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that is in Christ Jesus. So as the prophet Hosea said, and I'll leave with this, let us know, let us press on. When I think about the word press, when you press in something, it removes something else. I press my shirt to remove the wrinkles. I only iron my shirt for you people not to tell me I have wrinkles on my shirt. I don't really care about wrinkles on my shirt. You press something into a, a, a mold, it's to squeeze something out. To squeeze the X, to squeeze something out. Let us press on into God's Word to squeeze out, to get rid of the junk. And let us press on to what? To know the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revealed word. Thank you for the power that it holds. It has incredible power. It is the very words of God. It's transforming power. It's anchoring power. So, Father, forgive us for treating your word so lightly, so often. Lord, give us, and we ask for, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, may we exercise what you have so freely lavished upon us. For the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen and amen. Let's stand, let's close in a song.
Bless you all.